Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. I'm excited about this series. I truly believe that this could be one of the most crucial points in time in history of iHeartChurch, that this series of messages um, has the potential to be a catalyst um, for our people in the direction that we're going. We're going to talk about a lot of really heavy stuff. Um, Hopefully I won't overwhelm you. And at the 11 o'clock, I am going to tell you that at 9, I'm pretty sure that 2020 came and stole 10 minutes of my 9 o'clock because I don't know how I went so long, but the time got, um, uh, I got so into it. There's so much in my heart that I want to share. I'll try to do better this time. They got an extended version at 9, um, but I'm really just so filled to the brim. It is like fire shut up in my bones, and I hope that you are excited and eager to hear from the Lord this morning. If that's you, say, oh, yeah. All right, that makes me excited, 11 o'clock. And so for those of you who are watching at home, we just want to take just a moment and prep our hearts, amen, just to receive, um, just to get in a posture, um, just to ask the Lord to, to speak what he wants to speak to us. And so, Father, I just thank you for being the privilege of being a part of this body of believers. And God, we're gathered not just in this room, but all over the world um, as people are gathered in their homes and in different places in the country and the world watching and Father, I just pray that right now, even, even if this is being watched at a later date, Father, I just ask that the spirit of the living God would just come and invade our space, not just our physical space of this building or our homes, but invade the space of our hearts and our minds, that you would remove distractions. And Father, I, I'm so humbled and honored that you would use such a broken girl to do anything in the kingdom of God. And Lord, you know it is your word is my great joy. It is the joy of my life. And what an honor just to be able to open it up and to, to, to share it with other people. And I don't take that lightly, but with fear and trembling. So, Father, I pray that this message would come with purity and with passion and with anointing and with love, just marinated in love. Lord, I pray that the word of God would be used to till up any ground of our heart that's hardened or mistaken to heal, that you would wound, but you would heal. You would, God, bind up the brokenhearted and set the the captives free. In Jesus' name we receive right now. In Jesus' name, amen. And everybody said, amen and amen. Um, So we're going to go into a series in the next few weeks called Prepare the Way. Turn to your neighbor and say, Prepare the Way. Now, how many of you have ever had someone coming over to your house and you had to make some preparations? Raise your hand in here. How many of you ever had someone call and they're on their way like unexpectedly and your house is not ready for visitors and you've had to rapidly make preparations and you know how that is, like shoving everything in a closet and then, you know, have you ever had someone come over and you weren't expecting company and and they're like, oh, please don't use that bathroom. You know, like don't open this door. Um, So there is one who is coming. Can I get an Amen. There is one who is coming, and there needs to be some preparation for his arrival. You remember that John the Baptist was called someone who was the preparer of the way. In John chapter 1, it talks about John the Baptist, and it says, As it was written and forever remains in the writing of the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. 
A voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. In verse 4, it goes on to say, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The Amplified explains that is requiring a change of one's old way of thinking, turning away from sin and seeking God and his righteousness. And we're going to skip down to verse 8, and he talks about how John the Baptist is saying, I'm giving you this message now. I'm baptizing you right now. As for me, I baptized you with water only, but he, the one who is coming, the one who we are preparing for, will baptize you who truly repent with the Holy Spirit. So anytime a king would go into a village or a king would go to meet with his people, there would be harbingers, there would be messengers, there would be people that would go ahead of the king to prepare the way. They would declare in the streets, the king is coming, make room, make room, the king is coming, and I'm telling you, there is a king coming. And we have to prepare his way. So how do we prepare the way of the Lord? Well, if we want to know how to prepare the way of the Lord for the second coming, we have to ask ourselves, how did John prepare the way for the first coming? And that was through repentance. How do we prepare? It's through repent. Now, I know this is your favorite word in all of Scripture. Everyone loves when a pastor gets up and talks about repentance. But listen, everyone wants the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We can't wait for the end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit when his spirit will come upon all flesh. You know, Lisa Bedevere, when she was in and I, she, she and I were talking about the latter day outpouring and we both synonymously agree that when this outpouring is poured out on the globe that is prophesied in Joel, that we will actually, we actually have no point of reference for what God is talking about. It's not like, oh, it'll be like this revival that happened back here or it'll be like this. No, the outpouring that is coming on the Latter-day Church is so, so monumental that we don't even have a point of reference for that. But there can but not be Jesus' baptism in the Holy Spirit until there's John's baptism in repentance. There has to be some preparation made. And so what we're going to talk about, this word to prepare, because I don't think that it means what you think that it means. Now, the word repent, let's look at it first. The word repent means to turn literally to turn. And actually, so does the word prepare. In Hebrew, because this they were quoting out of the book of Isaiah, it's panah, and it means to turn away, to put out of the way, to make clear, to clear away. And as a matter of fact, I'm studying Hebrew now. We just got through learning about this tense that this verb is in. It's called an emphatic imperative. This means you do it, you do it with emphasis, and you do it to completion all the way. So you turn, you prepare, you clear out, you make room all the way for the coming of the Lord. And so what we're going to do in the next few weeks is we're going to ask some really tough questions. How do we turn? What do we need to turn from? What do we need to turn to? How do we prepare the way for the coming of the Lord? And one of the reasons that I said I believe this is the most critical, one of the most critical series we'll ever do it as a church is because during 2020, it became very evident to us as the Spirit of God was speaking to Brandon and I that we needed to prepare the bride for what was going to happen on the globe. That 2020 revealed to us that when the church doors shut down and people are scattered, the people are ill-equipped for that. And yet, there is a promised coming persecution it is prophesied and it is promised. So how do we 
prepare the bride for what is coming globally. And so this heaviness, this fear and trembling came upon us that we must prepare the bride. We must prepare the way. And so we're going to be looking in the coming weeks. How do we do that? What do we turn from? What questions are we going to start to ask? How do we prepare the church? What decisions are we going to change in church structure and the way we do ministry? But can I tell you, before we can talk about corporate changes, um, uh, group changes, we have to look at individual changes. We can't just focus on the group. We have to personally, each one of us, the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's living and it's breathing and it's moving. You are the church, not an organization, not I Heart Church, not the building. We each individually are the temple of God. And so we have to take ownership, take ownership to prepare. When we say prepare the way, the first thing we have to prepare is prepare my heart. I want you to say prepare my heart. It's ownership of my heart. Now, how many of you watched the presidential, the first presidential debate? All right. How many of you super enjoyed that? Okay, like no one raised their hand. All right. Um, you know, uh, my Bible college professor in, um, in college said that one of the reasons that judgment on the nation of Israel would happen to the entire nation when the king was wicked was, and that peace would happen to the nation when the king was righteous was because the king was reflectant of the heart of the people. Now, I want you to think that. The king is reflectant of the heart of the people. And as I watched the presidential debate, for me, it was kind of strange because it felt like someone had turned on, if Facebook comments had an audio on button, that's what I felt like I was watching. Because these two kings were reflectant of the weaknesses and strengths in the hearts of the people. Maybe exaggerated. But they were reflectant of the hearts of the people. And so it's really easy to point fingers and to blame the pastor, the church, the government. But listen, why do pastors, churches, governments, kings make the decisions that they make? Most of the time, it's at the will of the mass. It's because, and I'll tell you, unless you have a God-fearing pastor, it is very hard not to bend to whatever the loudest majority wants. Even in church, a few people get their hands in the pastor, and when he won't do what they tell him to do, they take their, their tide and they leave. Come on. It's the will of the people. If you think about who, that the kings are reflected of the will of the people, then the people individually can't just point fingers. We have to assume responsibility to correct anything that's off in our own hearts. We have to prepare the way in our own hearts. There cannot be true global revival apart from personal revival. It starts here. If you're still with me because you're looking at me mean, say, oh, yeah. But in 2 Timothy, we find out in chapter 4, it says, a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with truth, with God's truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something that's pleasing they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires, and listen to this, to support the errors they hold. In other words, they go find pastors who will tell them what they already believe and what they already want to hear. Instead of being around iron sharpening iron, and you know, I understand that we could grow this church exponentially if we would use our charisma and our gifts and tell you messages that make you feel good and make you feel good about yourself and don't challenge you. We could grow the church exponentially. But I also understand that teachers will be held to a stricter judgment, the scripture says. 
And that when we stand before Jesus, I hear the words of Jesus that said that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not, dot, 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 do all these churchy things, all these religious things, and yet he says, depart from me because I never knew you. Who gave these people the perception they were saved? And so we have to set our face like a flint and commit out of love for you. I will not tickle your ears. I'm going to use words that no one likes like repentance and prepare and turn. And it doesn't mean I'm a hellfire and brimstone preacher. It means I'm a, I love you and I don't want to see you perish, preacher. It's love. It's love that says he is coming. Prepare the bride, prepare the bride. And to, do, to prepare the bride, we have to first prepare our hearts. So we're going to look this morning at what I call the parable of all parables. Now, we, we are told that in Scripture that Jesus never taught once without using parables. Parables are short stories where he tries to um, give a par uh, an allegory to show a spiritual truth. But there is one that, according to Mark chapter 4, is preeminent over all the other parables. It says this in verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all of the other parables? Do you understand that this particular, and I don't know why I haven't ever really heard this verse in this context preached has never really brought out that this parable seems to be of more importance than any of the other parables. It says to pay attention to even how you hear it. It's extremely important. So let's look at it. In Mark 4, chapter 1, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore in a very large crowd. Can you say a very large crowd? A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. Can I stop, and can we just say, listen? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Listen. I want you to tell yourself, listen. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of it fell on a, a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly and because the, soil was because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as it implanted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then Jesus closed up his book and he left. Okay, that's the end of today's sermon. I hope you got a lot out of that. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. This is the reality of when Jesus told this, a large crowd gathered and they heard, but they did not understand. And we're going to talk about why in just a minute. They heard, but they did not understand. And so a large crowd will likely hear this message, whether virtually or in person. A large crowd will hear it, but how many will listen and understand? So verse 10 says this. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples. Can you say alone? That's important. And with the others who were gathered around... They asked him what the parables meant. Do you notice some initiative on their part? Do you notice they were seekers on their part? He replied, you 
listen, this is so crucial. You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders. Now, this will mess with some of your theology. You're permitted to understand, but they're not. And talks to him about why. He starts to uncap, um, unpack this scripture, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come and take it away at once. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that has fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. And in verse 24, he goes on to say this, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Now, we're going to talk about what that verse specifically means at the end of the message. But first, I want to clarify, what is the seed? The seed is the word. The seed is the word. The farmer would be anybody who shares the word with others. The seed is the word. What is the ground? This is types of listening hearts. And I'm going to put these floating quotations, listening hearts. Because how many of you know, just because you hear doesn't mean you're listening. Anyone with children says, Amen. Any women with a husband? No, I'm just joking. Say amen. Just because you hear doesn't mean you're listening. So these are types of listening hearts. But before we go into these four types of listening hearts, I want to bring this point out. Based on this parable, only about 25% of people who hear God's word will ever bear fruit with it. You notice a large crowd heard it, but very few heard it. They heard it, but they didn't hear it. A large crowd gathered. And this is consistent with Matthew chapter 7. It says this, where Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads to the way of destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow and difficult it is to travel the path that leads the way to everlasting life. Listen to me. And few are those who find it. Now, not that Jesus needs me to confirm his word with my clinical findings, but I have noticed anecdotally that in ministry in the past 20 years, this is really consistent. Only about a fourth of people that, I, that come to me for advice will actually listen and obey and endure in the word of God. As a matter of fact, it is so rare for someone to take hard truth to listen and to go and do it consistently that I marvel when it happens. Some of you have been, some of those people that I've looked and said, I am so encouraged by your faith and your obedience. I don't see people that respond so quickly to God's word this often. 
Jesus marveled at the faith of some people because most people are going to fall. 75% of the people will fall under the categories of never, ever, ever producing anything from the fruit of God's word. And we can't say this is just the lost because it's just as rampant. Disobedience, not hearing, not listening is just as rampant in the church. And if I'm right, say, oh, yeah. It's just as rampant in the church. Pay close attention. Pay close attention. So let's look at these four groups of ground, and let's talk about these four hearts. Four groups of listeners, and the first is the hard-hearted, the hard-hearted. Now, when Jeremiah was being called to preach, God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go and say this to the people, but they will not listen. He said, go say this to the king, but he will not listen. When God called Moses, he said, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let the people go, but he will not listen to you. In Ezekiel, it says, when there's a watchman, the watchman is required to sound the alarm, but if the people don't listen, then his hands are clean from blood because he did not spare the message. But it said, watchman, if you see the enemy coming and you don't sound the alarm for fear of what the people will say, then their blood will be on your hands. And this is why we are required to not preach messages that tickle your ears. And I don't know why someone would want their ears tickled anyway. That's just annoying. I may not like for you to step on my toes, but if you stepping on my toes gets me away from a ledge, then please, by all means, step on my toes. And so the hard-hearted, God tells the prophets repeatedly that the majority of people won't listen. You'll speak, but they won't listen. I don't know about you. I don't want to be that person. I want to be one of the few. And maybe I'm just an overachiever, but I don't even want to be one of the 25% that just bears 10% more. I want to be the hundredfold return that God gets when I see Jesus face to face. Can I get an Amen. And so I want to listen so that I can bear fruit that remains. So what causes hard hearts? The first thing, I'm going to give you three things quickly, is offense. In Proverbs 18, 19, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Anybody ever hurt someone's feelings, and as much as you tried to reconcile with this person, they would not have it? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Thank you. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. In Matthew eleven six, 6, Jesus sends a message to John the Baptist saying, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now let's talk about really quick two categorizations of offense. Some offenses are very real and church hurt is very real. Pastoral abuse has been very real, okay? And so a lot of people, I'm aware that as I share the message, I'll share the same message, maybe thousands of people will hear it, and yet none of you will perceive it in the same way as the person next to you. There's a lot of, you're filtering what you're hearing through experiences, through, you might filter what you're hearing through something that I've done to you, because Lord knows I'm flawed, and I'm going to make mistakes, and so you may not receive it, or you may be reading through, well, she's saying this because of this, or because of this, and so you're filtering it through that, or you could be filtering this through another pastor, or another leader who's hurt you, or a parent that's hurt you, do you hear what I'm saying? And so we can harden our heart because we're wounded in an area, and so we don't want to receive it, not because we don't like the word, but because there's an offense there. And so we can be offended by true trauma that's happened to us, or we could be offended just because the word is offensive. Because God's word is a sword, and it hurts, and it cuts, and it pierces through the the bone and the marrow. And so John the Baptist 
Jesus said there was no one who's ever lived on the earth as righteous as John the Baptist. And yet John the Baptist struggled with offense at Jesus. Why? Because John the Baptist was in a prison cell. He had given everything he had to be a voice crying in the wilderness. People were getting baptized. People were getting saved. And then people come and they start following Jesus. And John's cool with that. He's like, no, he must increase. I must decrease. Go to him. But then he gets arrested, and now his life is at stake, and Jesus' ministry is booming. And John says, are you the Messiah? Now, John knew he was the Messiah. God had already revealed that he was the Messiah. Why did he ask this question? He was struggling with hurt. He was struggling. Jesus, why are you out there doing this, and I'm in here about to die? Offended. Sometimes we're just offended with the cross. We're just offended with the word. But blessed is he who is not offended by me. Number two is bitterness. Now, offense and bitterness are different. Offense is I'm hurt and I'm wounded. Bitterness is I've given, I've nursed this wound. I have gathered with other people who have similar offenses and similar wounds, and we gather around the table and we feed this wound. We set this baby on the the center of the living room. We all nurse and pay attention to and coddle this until this little offense has become a grown tantrum toddler. Bitterness is poisonous and toxic and infectious. Bitterness bleeds over like a tree that has grown and now casting seed on everybody that comes in your sphere. Bitterness is different than an offense because bitterness has grown into full fruition and is now infecting other people. Hard hearts, hard hearts. Watch out, Hebrews says, that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And then the last thing is pride will cause a hard heart. In Daniel 5.20, talks about Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. So spiritual pride can even do this. That when we think we know more than someone else, and everyone now, because Google, thinks they're a theologian. And so because I watched a few YouTube sermons, now I'm a theologian, and when someone comes and tries to lovingly have a discussion iron sharpens iron i'm offended i know that already let me tell you something none of us have a corner market on the scriptures every one of us could be wrong about things and are i can no more fully understand the scriptures than a toddler can understand quantum physics It's too complicated. It's too alive. God's too biggest thoughts are not my thoughts. And we have to have a humility about us that's willing to admit that we could be wrong about some things. And then it's okay to let others come in and teach us or strengthen us or sharpen us. But pride will cause us to think, I don't need that. I already know that already. So pride or offense. So how do we get rid of this? I look at one king who God sent a word, Pharaoh, let my people go. And he, out of pride, Who is God? Who is this God to tell me what I have to do? I'm not. He's deciding for himself what's right and wrong. Yet the king of Nineveh, when he heard the word of the Lord, ripped his garments, called a nationwide fast. You read the story. He wouldn't even let the cattle eat for three days. Even the animals couldn't eat. Total repentance. He lowered and humbled himself and received the word of the Lord. And in Hebrews Chapter 3, it says this, Watt said, Today, while there's still opportunity, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As when they provoked me. While there's opportunity. This indicates, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that there's not always going to be an opportunity for you to choose whether or not you're going to harden your heart again. 
that after a while of hearing and not listening and hardening, that you may not have a choice as to whether or not you get to hear from God anymore. Remember the scripture that even what he has, what understanding he has will be taken away from him. And so this is what Pharaoh, this is what happened to Pharaoh. God gives him over to what he wanted to do. But in Hosea 10, it says this, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. Rich, you can come up. For it is the time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. It's time, now is the opportunity. If you hear while there's opportunity, it's time, now is the time. It says to break up. In King James, it says the fallow ground of your heart. So if offense and pride and bitterness have made your heart hard, how do you fix it? Well, this is what we would till hard ground with. Now, Rich, show them how to use this, Vanna. It's wonderful. This is a great, great job. So as you would see, this has very pointy, spear-like things at the end, and you stick them in the ground, you twist it up, and then you do something. Oh, you cast off all the, the dirt right here. Now, how many of you think if you were soil, hard soil, you would enjoy this process? Oh, it's going to be a deep tissue massage, right? This is a painful process, and this is what it looks like to repent. This is what, when we allow the sword of the word of God, instead of not listening, we allow it to penetrate the hardness of our heart, and sometimes God, just for pleasure, will crank it, right? And you'll hear it in multiple places. Okay, God, I got it. But we allow the word of God to plow and tend our heart. This is why fasting is so good for us. Because it rips open our flesh. Our flesh is screaming to have what it wants and it quiets all that. It pierces it with the word of God and tills up the fallow ground of our heart so the word of God can get in it. Now notice this. The name of this tiller is Corona. All right, you're done. Now, I didn't say this because I didn't think about it until after service, but I had the thought, Corona. What if God is using Corona to till up fallow ground in our hearts? What if God is using hardship, allowing hardship and difficulty and suffering and discipline to till up hard ground in our hearts? We have to let him do it. The second group of listeners is the shallow. The shallow. Now notice this group of listeners, first it seemed like they were going to obey. And I meet a lot of people like this. At first, I'm super hopeful because they're like, you're right, that is what I need to do. I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna, yes, I, I agree. And then persecution comes. And then obeying the word gets hard when you have to keep obeying the word. And it says, do not grow weary in well-doing because you will reap if you faint not. But man, it's really hard not to give up when, it's super, when it gets super suffering. When that till goes down deep, it's hard. And so a lot of people bail out, even though they first receive it with joy because they're excited about it, but they're, they fail to understand that the way of a cross includes a cross. The way of the cross includes a cross. It is not a cakewalk. It is squeezy, squeezy, as my son used to say. There is a press. There is a breaking. In 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. 
There is glory with suffering, and we're going to talk about that at the end of the month and how to endure through these hardships. But in 1 Peter 4, 4, of course, your former friends, now notice it says, of course. Don't be surprised. And of course, this is showing you we should be teaching and expecting suffering. And everybody's like, amen, Melody. I know y'all shout me, repent, suffer, yes. I know it's exactly what you want to hear. But this is saying, expect it. Don't be surprised. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge in the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. This is a part of it. And this is why we can't preach the gospel of self-help. This is why so many people are disillusioned with Christianity. It's because we have given, we have sold them a gospel of just peace, just prosperity, just blessing. God, it's all about you, your calling, your destiny. But your calling, your destiny, your purpose is also has unique suffering, unique discipline, unique challenges. And they coincide. And we have to go into that understanding so we can't have shallow roots. But do you want to know who bails out at persecution? Who bails out when things get tough? People who don't have deep roots in the word of God. People who aren't grounded in the word of God. They don't, their roots don't, don't go down deep. They're having a surrogate Christianity. They feed and they're still, they're still in the bottle with someone else. They're not mature in their faith. In Psalm 1 it says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of wicked or stand with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on this day and night. That means there's some thought to it. There's some intent to it. They're not just hearing, they're pondering it. They're thinking on it day and night. This shows consistency day in, day out, not just on Sundays, come on. The only time we get the word of God shouldn't be the only day that Chick-fil-A is closed. <laughs> day and night, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, that's hard to say, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. In other words, the deeper your roots, the sweeter your fruit. The deeper your roots, the sweeter your fruit. So how? How do I get deep roots if I realize, hey, I'm bailing out on God every time things get tough. Hey, I get super discouraged and I quit. How do you fix that? You dig deep. You dig deep in the word of God. And I'm going to give you some resources. And we'll post these also. So if you don't catch them now, you can get them I'm on uh, social media or on the app, actually, if you need to, if you're fasting social media. But here's some resources we use. All of this, besides the One Year Bible, is free. I think you can find the One Year Bible I use on Amazon for $11. I like a, I like a one I can highlight and actually write in. Um, so this is, if you read this 15 minutes a day, um, then you will have gone through the entire Bible in one year. It breaks it up, Old Testament, New Testament, a little Psalm and a little Proverb each day. So it's not all in one area. So you're not in Le Leviticus for a solid month, you know, and nothing else. So I really love this. Um, there's a Read Scripture app, which is also free. If you want to go to Free Bible College, the free, uh, the Read Scripture app, it's also called The Bible Project on YouTube. They actually have a one-year reading plan. You can start it now. They have seven-minute videos each day, just seven minutes, illustrated videos where they literally are, they have multiple doctorate degrees, and they walk you through the big-picture narrative of Scripture to help you understand what's happening and what's going on. Seven minutes a day all the way through Scripture. What I'm telling you is that your discipleship is your responsibility. That if you're a baby, I need to give you a bottle. But if you've been saved five years and you tell me you don't know Scripture, whose fault is that? I love you. 
I love you, I love you, I love you. But it's your fault, okay? These are resources for free. You version reading, you have a million reading plans on the Bible app. Guys, our responsible, we have to dig deep and decide. I want to be a lifelong student of the Word of God. I want to know Him because He's real. I don't want to be shallow in my faith. Dig deep. The third group of listeners is the distracted. The distracted. Anybody have ADHD in here? We talked about that a little bit last week. Okay, now you're willing to admit it. Last week I was like the only one who raised my hand. The distracted. Now, what are they distracted by? They were distracted by wealth and pleasure and the lure of happy things. So it wasn't persecution that discouraged them. This group was distracted by wealth and pleasure and entertainment. Come on. Now, remember when Jesus said that not many of the wealthy, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, why did he say that? I've thought a lot about that verse, especially in the past couple of years, because what I can confidently tell you, it does, God does not hate money. Um, the love of, uh, I'm sorry, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Can I get an amen? We need money to fund the church. We need money to do kingdom work. You need money to eat. And God wants you to be blessed. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. It's when nice things have you. It's, when, it's not wrong with being wealthy, but it's when wealth has you. Now, why is it so difficult for the wealthy or the prosperous? Even in Deuteronomy, it says that when you've entered that fine land, that is the time to be careful. When you hear, hit a prosperous season, that's the time to be careful. Now, why is this? Now, I want you to think about for a minute. If you're in college, you're going to totally relate to this. And when you want something to eat and you're hungry, but you ain't got no money in the bank, so you go hungry, Right? You have to wait till you get home and you make you some ramen noodles, right? And there's a big debate. Is it ramen? Is it ramen? And my last girl, she calls it ramen, okay? So there's three ways to say it. However you say it, every college student knows it. Now, when you're poor, you're tired of your house, sorry, bud, you ain't got no choice. You're going to stay in your house, right? But when you have a little bit of money, you don't have to tell yourself no as much, do you? You want something, you could get it. And the more money you have, the more you want the more you can just get. So it's that immediate gratification. In other words, you're not used to getting told no by yourself. So when you're wealthy and things are going well for you, you've almost conditioned yourself, and it's not bad, but you're conditioned to not being told no very often. So when the word tells you no, come on, it's harder to listen because you're not broken poor and have to say no to yourself all the time. So this is why I said, blessed are the poor, all right? And so if you're poor in here, you can say, I'm so blessed. If you're especially blessed this morning, would you raise your hand? We'll pray for you. But this wealth has a tendency to lure us away, to pull us away, the pleasures of life pulling us away because it gives us immediate gratification. But in 1 Peter 2, it says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. They wage war this is not a mild thing. It's saying that wealth and pleasure are war, are enemies of your soul. It's not wrong to have them, but it's wrong for them to have you. And so you have to keep a guard on your heart because Jesus said as in the days of Noah, when they were drinking and feasting and partying, that's how it's going to be when the coming of the Son of Man comes. That people will be partying and marrying and getting drunk and, li and living together and wild parties and it'll come like a thief in the night. So he says, don't be caught unaware. Paul talks to Timothy about a guy named Demas who deserted him, he said, because he loved the things of this life. 
So listen, if you have wealth in here, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get into heaven. It means you're going to have to tell yourself no. You're going to have to commit that the word of God is my source and not my wealth. And that if the word of God tells me no, even if I can, I won't. Because my greater authority is the word. In 2 Timothy 3, let's talk for a minute about how do we do this? How do we cut off distractions? Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you should know that in the last days there will be very difficult times. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving, unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. Does anybody think that this sounds like today? Yes? They'll be cruel. They'll hate what's good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless, puffed up with pride. And they'll love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Do you want to know how to turn off distractions? Turn them off. Fleshy, worldly Christians who bear the name of Christ, you're going to have to start to distance yourself from them. Distractions on social media. If you're pulled away, if you're overspending and overextending yourself financially because you have a covetous spirit that just wants what everybody has, build a bigger, bigger, bigger image, better image, better image, cut it off. Turn it off. Dig in. This fast is a time to till up the ground of our hearts to remind ourselves of what ultimately really matters. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? We can't take any of those things with us. You know, I stood in a cemetery in New York. And I wrote about this in a Rise book at the end. But there is a church there, a famous church, and I got morbidly distracted with the graveyard that's in the church and well, beside the church. But this church stands on the intersection of Broadway and Wall Street. Wall Street cuts like this and Broadway here. And I was distracted by this one particular tombstone of an eight-year-old little boy. And at the time that this tombstone was laid there when he died, this was nothing but a field. There was no New York City. This was, not, this was a field at the time when this prophetic tombstone was here on the corner of the world's wealth and entertainment, now this boy's body points as a prophetic voice crying out in the wilderness. Go ahead and put it up. Put the second one there. This is the bottom of it. It says, read or reflect as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. Now, I don't mean to get too ugly on New Year's, but Ecclesiastes says a wise man thinks about death often. Why? Because it reprioritizes us. And here this little eight-year-old boy's body, what would provoke parents to put this on an eight-year-old's tombstone? There was no way they could know that hundreds of years later, this child's tombstone would be like a voice in the wilderness crying in the streets of Wall Street, crying on the street of Broadway. Listen, this is not all there is to life. There is more coming. Prepare the way. Prepare for eternity. Prepare your heart. 
please do not get distracted. I know there is glitz and there is temporary pleasures out there, but it is hollow and it is death at the bottom of that well. There's nothing for you there. Please don't just listen. Please don't just hear. Please understand. The last group of listeners, the producers. James says this, so you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. The last group actually produced something. When we have the right condition of our hearts, when the word falls on it, there's fruit. Something happens, good deeds pop up. We don't just hear the word and walk away unchanged. That shows that there's a faulty condition of our heart. When we're hearing the same things from God over and over and over, and there's no fruit, that means we're in one of those categories and there needs to be some change. There has to be good deeds produced. But this is probably the most concerning, important part of this. Based on this parable, the way we listen is tied to how much we will be allowed to understand. The way we listen. This shows us the single greatest thing we can do to grow in wisdom is to obey the wisdom God's already given us. In Luke 8, Luke's version of this parable says this, Jesus said, so pay attention how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken from them. The word here in Hebrew is Shema. And it means to listen and obey. In other words, this word, hear, O Israel, does not mean listen. It does not mean just hear. It means listen and obey. In Hebrew, you can't untie. It's like two sides of the same coin. You can't untie listening and obeying. They're the same thing. Let's look at Pharaoh just a minute. And one of the verses that really trips people up is when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? But if you look, there's 10 times Pharaoh's heart was hardened during the plague. The first six, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. This seems to indicate what Jesus is indicating, that after a point of us not listening, not listening, not listening, not listening, God will give us over to what we really want. And then he'll begin to use us for his own purposes. The Bible calls it a depraved mind. That we will no longer even be able to discern the voice of God. Even what understanding we think we have, this is what keeps me walking holy. In the quiet place, in the secret place, when I can maybe get by with it, or get by with something, what keeps me walking a line is I do not want to not be able to hear him, to know him. I want to obey what he's given me. But listen, God is not harsh when he does this. You don't keep talking to people who don't listen to you, do you? I want you to imagine sitting across from someone at lunch and repeatedly going to lunch with them every day, but they don't look at you. They stare at their phone the whole time. And when you talk, they act like they're uninterested. And they don't they say, huh, what are you talking about? They don't listen to anything. You would stop talking to them too. And when we hear, but we don't listen, when we hear, but we don't obey, we hear, but we don't understand, we poise ourselves in a dangerous position, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Just listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right. So we should be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Some versions say deluding ourselves, making ourselves think we're fine when we're really not. So what do we do with all of this? I'm going to close. Psalm 119.59 gives us the answer. I pondered the direction of my life and I turned. Remember that word prepare, repent means to turn. I pondered 
the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. There is no greater time than this right now. Now is the time to ponder and pivot. Think about here, don't just, don't just hear, please, please. And I know probably one of the most heartbreaking parts of this job that we have is that we cast seed that could bear fruit in your marriage and your kids. We cast seed that could help you and that many, most, don't really hear. They don't really understand. They don't really listen. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long did I want to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would have none of it? Ponder and pivot. What is God speaking to you? Why don't you bow your heads? For some of you, God is putting his finger on a hard heart. That wound that you're carrying from previous church hurt, that wound you're carrying from a father or a mother, God's putting his finger and asking you to release. That giving him that wound only opens your heart to receive healing. You're not punishing the person who hurts you by hardening your heart, you're punishing you. Some of you, you realize there's some spiritual pride in my life and I've been stubborn and I wanna open my heart with humility. Some of you, you realize that you've not, you've been lazy in your faith, you've not taken a personal commitment to dive into the word and be a student. You want to rectify that. And some of you, you realize, I've been distracted by pleasure and by wealth and by luring of other things, worldly things, and I want to come back home. The answer for all of this, this time of year is a time when we dedicate more than just at this altar. We dedicate, I'm going to take this next 21 days. I'm going to dig up the fallow ground, the hardened ground, the shallow ground of my heart so the word of God can penetrate deep and I can bear fruit that remains. God, I pray that you bless your people. I pray as they ponder that they would also pivot. They would turn, they'd prepare. Oh God, let us prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.